0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence Fixed Income Credit Currency and commodities Strategists and Analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research
1: Team. It's October 11th. Yields are higher. Bond prices are lower with Fed, inflation, and earnings season woes growing. I'm Rob Schiffman, and welcome to this month's Bloomberg Intelligence Credit Chat Podcast. With us today to provide the answers to some of BI's most asked questions are a slew of our global financial all-stars, including Arnold Kakuta, Yarun Julius, and Preeta Silva. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining. There's so much stuff going on uh, around the globe. Can't wait to, to dig deep into this conversation. Yerun, I can't help but start with you. I'm a 20-plus year former alumnus of Credit Suisse, uh, and I've seen nothing but what looks like bad headlines and CDS going through the roof. Uh, and a stock price that's uh a lot closer to zero uh than the numbers when I was there. Why don't you walk us through a little bit what's happening uh with CDS and where you think uh things are headed?
0: Yeah, hi Rob, uh, thank you for uh for having me. <clears throat> well, uh Credit Suisse is um it's still struggling uh, to recover from uh the huge uh, losses linked to Greensill and to Archegos uh, last year. Uh, these two events uh, plus many other uh Slip-ups that went before them; uh, they were indicative of a risk culture that was out of control, and this has triggered clearly a lot of uh, upheaval uh, at the bank. Uh, And also, the the bank's recent involvement in the loss-making Citrix debt sale didn't uh, didn't help. Uh, So, uh, in July, a new CEO was appointed, and uh, details of a new uh, strategy will be uh, presented uh, at the end of this month uh, with uh, third-quarter numbers.
1: So, what, what what are you anticipating? Is the bank going to get broken up? Is the bank going to get sold? Is it going to even look like an investment bank going forward? And, and maybe most importantly, do you think like some of these trading levels have just gotten way out of whack and it's more about uh, fear mongering than it really is about um, credit quality?
0: Mm-hmm. So what we should get is uh, details of the progress of the strategic review, quote unquote. Uh, So, the the full uh, strategy itself uh, may be uh, presented uh, later in the fourth quarter. Uh, What seems clear uh, at this stage is that the the investment bank will be shrunk uh, even further than uh, previous plans, and the the reduction of risk-weighted assets may go beyond the 25% reduction that was announced uh, last year. Uh, Divestitures, asset sales uh, are also being considered. Uh, the bank has already exited uh, prime brokerage, um, uh, as, uh, as as you know, and is also considering whether to uh, to attract uh, a third-party capital into its uh, securitized products uh, business. Uh, and that will allow the bank to uh, put greater focus on its core global wealth management and uh, asset management franchises, as well as on the the Swiss domestic retail and commercial bank. So uh, the investment bank should uh, play no more than a supporting role. I think I think that's what we're going to get uh, at the end of this month.
1: Okay. And let, let's um, let's take a broader sort of review. I mean, when we've talked in you know sort of post pandemic, you know. There was um, you guys have been pretty firm about um, how, how how balance sheets for banks are in such a different place than they were mm-hmm. during the financial crisis, and that things should sort of hold up meaningfully better um, and what we 've seen now is sort of a repeat of uh, 2008, where it doesn't make a difference what you are, what sector you're in, what the security is. Everything is a lot lower. You know, mm. European bank AT1s have 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 gotten hammered. What's just what? Why um, mm. is it just baby with a bathwater? Um, and any names in particular that stand out as um, as attractive to you?
0: Yeah, so uh, European bank AT1 yields they've uh, quadrupled uh, over the past year around 11% or thereabouts. Um, Now, a a big chunk of that is because of the changing rates and inflation backdrop. Uh, But there's also something else that's been going on, uh, which has to do with uh, non-call risk. Uh, Remember that until recently, uneconomic calls were very common in the European banking sector. Um, And that has now changed, or at least that seems to be changing, uh, because the regulatory scrutiny of uneconomic calls has gone up uneconomic calls may be banned, at, at least in the European Union. Uh, whether the UK and Switzerland are going to follow uh, that lead remains to be seen. But uh, what you've seen is that uh, a complete, the, the, the entire 81 uh, universe in, in Europe has repriced to, to perpetuity uh, rather than to the first call date. Uh, so far, all but two... Let's say benchmark 81s uh, have uh, still been called at the first call date. Um, this year, there are only two that remain outstanding, namely the Sabadell and Rifaiz and 81s. We don't think that these bonds will get called, uh, and then you've got a few more precedents of non-calls going into next year, and you know that may embolden other uh, issuers to not call. So increasingly, uh, you know, investors are recognizing that uh, 81. Extension risk uh, has has arrived. Uh, I would like to add one other thing, and that is that uh, issue of fundamentals may also be playing a role here. MDA buffers have uh, are still very healthy, but they have come down, as, as we saw with the first uh, half uh, results, and they may drop even further uh, on the back of shelter returns and also on the back of regulatory tightening. Uh, the reintroduction of countercyclical buffer requirements uh, may result in uh, in smaller buffers. Uh, there may be a bit of uh, Russia-related uh, pushback from regulators uh, regarding uh, share buybacks, um, but yeah, overall capital buffers have been coming down and may go down even even further.
1: And just before we move on to the rest of the world, are, are there other Credit Suisse-style names out there? Is anyone else have this sort of potential headline exposure where either there's a a, a loss of faith? or there's uh, real business challenges that um, that, that might take a, a significant amount of time to fix? <laughs> um, well, look, there are lots of smaller names
0: outside of our coverage that uh, are uh, struggling. Um, in our European banks coverage, uh, I think at the moment, uh, Credit, credit Suisse is, is quite uh, unique. Uh, but look, the, some of the challenges faced by Credit Suisse uh, are applicable to to a lot of other banks. You know, revenue headwinds uh, in its uh, uh, private wealth uh, management business. You know, that's not just for Credit Suisse; that, that applies to a lot of the other banks as well. Uh, same thing with um, institutional asset management, and of course, uh, you know, some of the challenges in the, in the investment bank. Uh, again, you know, they are common uh, for the for, for the for the rest of the sector. Uh, if you step Away from, let's say, the the, the large capital markets uh, and wholesale banks, uh, clearly another name that is uh, struggling uh, to put it mildly is Montepasci. Uh They are planning to do a rights issue next week. Um, but you know, we have some reservations whether they're going to be successful. And if they're not, then uh, the the tier two bonds and the senior bonds, uh, they may be involved in some form of uh, of bail-in.
1: Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Good stuff. I, it's just amazing. You think about this space as a, a safe haven, and you know one of the names becomes a, a poster child for, you know, the sort of uh, market panic. It's just it, interesting to see what the next steps are going to be, um, and maybe with those next steps, uh, Arnold Kakuta will tell us you know, what names in the in the in the US are, ex, are exposed. Hey, Arnold, how are you?
2: Hello, great.
1: So great we, to I, be here. How oh, good. I listen. I do want to talk about uh, big banks, but you have blown up the terminal in terms of reads uh, in the last month or so talking about the potential need for regional banks uh, to finance. You've done a host of collabor- collaboration with your regulatory and equity colleagues. I hope um, you know if people are interested in financials, they tune into uh, a variety of your video series that you've, you've made recently. But Talk a little bit more specifically, and then we'll get into we'll get we'll we'll start with with regionals, and then we'll go into to bigger banks about you know this re- potential requirement uh, for names like U.S. Bank Corp. Or, or PNC to issue a, a lot more TLAC debt. What, why is that? Um, you know, and what parts of their capital structures uh, will be most impacted? And then, obviously, of course, like you know, what are our listeners and bond investors supposed to do?
2: Okay, got it. Yeah, so um, That's a lot of there stuff are, there, you- huh?
1: Yeah, I'll Three it. questions,
2: or yeah. <laughs> all right, so let me see if I can get this right. So, um, in terms of um, yeah, we've had a lot of um, you know webinars and videos on potential debt requirements for regional banks, and uh, I guess the, the new thing is basically these Biden-appointed regulators are now in the seat, and so they're looking at all these um, regional banks becoming bigger and bigger through uh, M and A, and so if if they were to fail they're looking around and saying, oh, okay, the only solution that might be out there is for like a B of A or JP Morgan to acquire these banks and then getting them bigger and bigger, which is not really what they want to happen. So, you know, part of the solution is, hey, maybe these guys need to have enough debt that can be converted to equity in a time of crisis. Um, it's this whole concept of too big to fail, where if these entities were to go under, um, it, it wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to do the classic kind of small bank um, bankruptcy process, where it closes on Friday, um, regulator comes in and says, "Okay, who, get, who can take this, uh, take these branches and whatnot, and open up under a new new name on Monday." For the non-financial
1: so, people out there, Arnold, like like me, yes, which are usually means we're clueless when it comes to financials. Is, is this like is this like super preemptive, or are are there cracks in some of these banks that there's a worry that there could be some sort of failures, or this is just getting ahead of a potential crisis.
2: Oh, this is completely getting ahead of uh, any, any potential uh, crisis, and so it's just this concept of these things are so big, are becoming so big and uh, important to the overall economy that if something were to happen, if if they were these guys were to run into trouble, if the the big if, uh, because th- these are some of the stronger entities that did did a lot, more, gotcha. were a lot more resilient. You know through the financial crisis so in their eyes they're like hey we're a lot more simpler than some of these bigger peers we don't have these huge derivatives books we don't have these huge you know leverage loan books that that we read about and stuff right so we don't do a lot of trading and investment banking so um you know we're a lot less volatile but yet because they become so big that you know the, these Biden-appointed regulators are saying, okay, how do I put my stamp on you know regulation in the, in this cycle, right? And um, that that's one of the things that they're looking at. And so we, we think you know the three banks that are most important um, impacted by this are U.S. Bank Corp, uh, Truist, and PNC. And we think each of those banks might need to issue uh, if these new regulations were to come into place, they might need to issue about thirty billion of debt uh, over the next few years.
1: So what ha- so ha- how do investors play that Do you do you wait for that issuance? Do you get you 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 think that current debt is going to underperform over the next 12 months before that happens, or or how do you play it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know w- what plays out is uh, I think you know you see a lot of more supply coming on board in, in the senior side, senior holding company debt, and um, you know the way it plays out right now is seniors are a lot tighter uh, for the rating, right? For the seniors are a lot tighter than, than the big U.S. banks. And and part of that, we think, is because the big U.S. banks have been issuing a lot just to maintain their, their um, TLAC and, and bail-in um, figures. But we find that further down the capital structure, if you look at their preferreds of regionals, they trade pretty much in line with, with the bigger banks. And, um, you know, we found some discount hybrids Ie like a U.S. Bank Corp. Uh, Realty, like a legacy. We prefer those trades still in like the mid 70s. They're they're LIBOR plus uh, like 150 you know, floaters, right? Uh, which should do well in, in this rising uh, rate environment. But wow. um, so so you know, we think further down the capital structure, um, there, there's more value for the regionals where where the seniors trade tight, and um, you know the catalyst might be hey. If these guys need to ramp up their debt issuance for the next uh few years, you might you might see those tight um senior bond spreads of regionals widen out a bit.
1: Gotcha. And going back to this concept of too too big to fail and um Arun mentioning um Citrix, you know, uh, I in my world of tech, obviously there's been a couple of sort of, you know, busted style loans. There might be more coming with uh, large Twitter loans. What what sort of exposure to big u s banks have to their loan portfolios is it again, is this something more of just like headliney style risk like it's cool to write and, and read about, but ultimately doesn't have a huge impact on uh, large cap financials credit quality
2: yeah, so I mean it, it is it is a I think more of a dent to, to earnings, not not sort of catastrophic. And to put it into context, uh, I think the figures that, you know, um, some of the banks have thrown around is, you know, the leveraged loan books now are maybe like a quarter or so of uh, pre-financial crisis, right? And, and yet the, the equity levels uh, that these big banks have are more than double what we had pre-crisis. So, you know, that's just to give like a little context of, of how, you know, significant um, this gotcha. stuff is. And, and yeah, it, it will be, you know, it, it will be some, some dents, um, you know, on earnings, um, let's see. Last quarter, I, I think when Citrix uh, Citrus was still kind of going through the books or, or being talked about, the, the biggest banks um, they took about a 200 or 300 million hit to to kind of um, uh, you know based on kind of where the market was. I think we'll see another quarter of that again, right? For to, for 3Q, uh, something in that neighborhood, but. Um, and, and even this this Twitter thing, right, um, Morgan Stanley, I think, is leading, and, and, and they're the ones that actually have the most equity, excess, extra equity to kind of absorb losses. But you know, overall earnings are still pretty good. And so, you know, you add that to, you know, the equity that these banks already have. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it is manageable. It's not, you know, great right now, but, you know, overall earnings are still good with rising rates. And so uh, we, we banks can absorb this stuff. Um, another name to look out for is and B of A is, is kind of the leader in this space. So they might be a little bit more impacted by, than others, gotcha. but, um, you know, we think it is manageable.
1: And real quick, before we move uh, to Asia, um, you know, talking of B of A, I think you've you've written a bunch about how regulators could lower leverage ratio requirements for some of the biggest U.S. banks. Um, is that a a, a a pretty big positive, um, that can have much of an impact?
2: Yeah. Um, so actually, we, we think that the, the potential winners of this uh, SLR reform, supplementary leverage ratio, um, that, that's really just equity and preferreds divided by kind of unweighted assets. And so it might seem like, okay, these banks might be able to hold a little less preferreds on their balance sheet. But uh, the real winners, I think, are the bondholders, the senior bondholders. Because um, along with that 5% SLR requirement, which will go down, the biggest U.S. banks, their, their bail in debt and TLAC constraint is on this 4.5% um, uh, requirement as a percentage of the unweighted assets. And so uh, that will also go down as well. And so all, all the big banks' surplus, capital, surplus uh, debt will go up as well. So uh, we think that's going to happen. You know, this reform is going to happen in 2023 based on our conversations with our regulatory colleague, Nathan Dean. And so, you know, we've had, you know, the past two years has been really active in terms of the the big U.S. banks issuing debt. You know, this year, especially hurting a lot because they've been big issuers, even, you know, despite all the volatility, even as, you know, bombs are flying in, in Ukraine with Russia. Uh, and so these new deals had to come at big concessions. And so, you know, potentially next year we think if this regulation comes on board, the issuance technicals for these big banks might improve. Right. And so you have this interesting dynamic of, you know, regulation playing a part in how, you know, the big US banks, maybe their debt issuance, their active debt issuance, and of course the still at issue, right? Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that might come down a bit. Whereas for the regional banks like the PNCs, US Bank Corps, and Truist, they might get more active. So right. we, we think the you know issuance technicals could shift gotcha. in that manner.
1: Gotcha. That's a great segue over to pre- and Asia. I mean, we're clearly seeing a slowdown in um, investment-grade issuance financials as usual are are, are dominating uh, with, I think, more than half of issuance uh, year to date. And uh, I would think that gap is going to get bigger as, as corporate issuance slows down. We've seen a lot of issuance out of, of certain financials. Uh, Mitsubishi is one of them. Uh, I think Pre pointed out how uh, since this summer, um, Mitsubishi has been on a little bit of uh, of a, of a, of a binge from an issuing perspective, what what's what's going on there? Um, what are they what do they need the money for? Is this a a, a worrying a worrying trend?
3: Yeah, uh, yes. So just in the September quarter, Japan's largest bank uh, Mitsubishi UFG or UFJ, uh issued about a year's worth of debt, uh, about nine billion dollars, just in one quarter, and it's entirely due to their bail-in de- uh, debt requirement. Um, Due to the strong dollar, high interest rates, and MUFG's pending divestment of uh, California-based Union Bank, the bank came very close to not meeting one of its regulatory requirements, uh, which is their TLAC requirement. Um, So the company had to go on this record issuance binge, uh, and at a very inopportune time, just to boost the TLAC ratio. Uh, And so far this year, they've issued about $15 billion of debt, um, and that's by far the highest going back about 10 years.
1: Um, Is that enough, or are they they done?
3: um, Great question. we think that MUFG could be an active issuer until it completes the sale of Union Bank to U.S. Bank, one of uh, Arnold's companies. Um, and we think that the, this particular sale will reduce its risk weighted assets by about $75 billion, But until they finish the deal, I don't think they are truly free and clear, and they'll continue to be an active issuer. Um, the bank initially expected this divestment to close in the first half of year, and uh, here we are. We are sitting in October, and um, it's hard to tell, especially when it involves regulation and re- regulators. Um, but um, the, their expectation is it will close this year, but who knows? Now, and yeah, so till then, it's more, a little more bit debt.
1: scary that you're saying that these guys were running into potentially some. Uh, uh, ratio issues and that they've got to go out and issue that much more. Is there anyone else in your sphere of coverage that could run into similar problems like that?
3: Um, not in terms of uh, uh, meet and not meeting the TLAC requirement. I think for them it was this trifecta of um, the strong dollar, higher rates, um, and then the uh, market, market stuff around Union Bank that really pushed this ratio down. Uh, but uh, the, the others are okay for now.
1: Okay. And uh, in continuing on this theme of issuance, um, you've talked about how bail-in debt requirements for uh, Chinese banks um, go into effect in, in, in a couple of years, which is starting to, uh, I guess, creep up. Um, you you want to give your, your thoughts on when you think uh, some of these Chinese banks will start Issuing, um, and has has it just been a rate issue that's that's kept them out of the market right now?
3: Um, yeah. So I expect Chinese banks to finally begin issuing Lak qualifying senior debt next year in 2023, more than a year after the requirements were and the rules were put into place. Um, but. Given where we are with monetary policy uh, in the West versus China, they're very um, likely to be heavily reliant on the domestic market for their funding needs uh, for TLAC. Um, Chinese banks have hardly issued any debt in the offshore market this year, barring a few green bonds, uh, especially due to the higher rates here. And China, obviously, is in, in a very accommodative state, so their rates are going lower. Uh, funding costs is getting cheaper. Um, and the last thing that I would add uh, regarding TLAC is that um, Chinese banks, when they typically issue foreign currency denominator debt, they issue out of their foreign subsidiaries. But that's not compatible with the single point of entry scheme related to bail-in. Uh, single point of entry is that a regulator comes in, one regulator um, bails out the company, uh, bails in the company at a single... Um, entry level um, and so having all these multiple debt issuing entities uh, that's not going to be compatible with single point of entry so what I think the banks would need to do before they begin issuing like T debt is set up a centralized debt issuing entity and call that their resolution entity and then issue out of that um, and it needs to be seen how they're going to issue debt around the world um, out of a Chinese who, um, headquartered entity, um, so that's uh, kind of up in the air. And until then, um, they've been flooding the uh, onshore market with hybrids and subordinated
1: debt. Gotcha. And what about, listen, just in general, you know, I I I don't think like real estate. Uh, prices have bounced back at all in China, similar to like how we talked about European and large U.S. banks might have exposure uh, to some loan losses. Is that a concern at all, or is it just such a large government-run uh, system that um, Asia, Chinese banks just don't have uh, tons and tons of loan or mortgage-style exposure?
3: The Chinese property sector is massive, um, approximately a quarter of the Chinese economy, so there's a lot of exposure there. Um, But what's happening is um, um, you have the banks that lend to the property sector, but then they've set up um, each bank has its own kind of a bad bank that's, not a regulated bank, and they can offload some of their risk to that entity. Um, so as a result of that, credit quality and um, loan losses haven't been that big a deal yet, um, which is surprising given how bad um, the property sector has been impacted when bonds are trading uh, across the sector at ten fifteen cents on the dollar, um, how are the banks really taking it on the chin? Um, Uh, The non-performing loans um, for property loans within the banks, um, many of them are running closer to 5%, which is quite high. Um, And a Hong Kong-based bank, uh, Bank of East Asia, that we just launched coverage um, earlier last month, um, they have um, been in trouble. And uh, so they reported a loss on their... Chinese um, subsidiary uh, for the uh, first half of this year, and their AT1s as a result uh, sold off and now uh, now yielding double digits. So uh, there's some pockets, but the uh, the Chinese banks, um, for whatever reason, it's not really uh, causing a major headache yet. Gotcha. Uh, on, on their loan books, at least.
1: Gotcha. Well, listen, for, whoever thought financials uh, were as was a boring sector, better start tuning in to to you guys <laughs> because there is a tremendous amount of stuff going on and lots of volatility. And if you don't know where those pockets of vol are, uh, you might be lost. So I really want to thank our best-in-class analysts for joining us. Thank you for listening to our BI Credit Chat Podcast. As always, if you need anything from our team, feel free to reach out directly or simply access the Credit Research Dashboard at Cred. Stay happy and healthy. Until next month, may your longs be tighter and your shorts wider. Bye-bye.